you fat slob. Let's see if you have any guts. <laughs> Pull up a chair to the Blood Feast, an audio buffet of cinematic mayhem and culinary carnage, featuring your host, The Cook. Ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Show him Jaws. Well, we did. Oh, God. When they had to release the uh, 40th anniversary thing. We went and saw it at the local theater, and they were like, "Oh my god!" I was like, "Yep, that was a PG third, or that was a PG movie." Yeah, they like they did like that. Then they then they were afraid to go in the pool, like just just like we were when we were kids. <laughs> and then well, I did. I showed them the other Jaws, and they were like, "Um," <laughs> uh, and I was like, "Yep, that's why we only ever talk about the first one." It's just funny because, you know, the second one isn't that bad as far as a sequel goes. Yeah. Um, the book was way... Have you, ever read the, have you ever read the novelizations? No. They only made novelizations of Jaws 2 and 4. And the novelizations of 2 and 4 <laughs> are... They're amazing. Really? They're actually amazing reads. That's hilarious. Like, in the fourth one, you know how the fourth one doesn't make any sense... Yeah, oh, that movie's fucking garbage. You mean the telepathic shark that has a grudge? Yeah. Well, <laughs> in in the book, the shark didn't have a telepathic grudge. It was um, the manifestation of a voodoo curse uh, on some on the uh, some Bahamian some Bahamian island that uh, the drug dealers were using to exact revenge on people who like didn't pay them or wrong them and shit. <laughs> it was crazy. It was crazy, but it was cool because it, it made more sense than the movie did. <laughs> That's fucking amazing. Cause that, Oh my God, that movie, Mario Van Peebles and, and Michael. K- oh my God. Michael Caine. <laughs> Every fell in the water, climbing out of the water, bone dry. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's the other thing too. In the in the book or in the movie, you know, they never actually explain what he did for a living that he had so much free time. In the book, he's a drug runner for the uh, Bahamian voodoo guys. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking incredible. I never, never. I didn't even know they had an novelization for that. That's like the one you would least expect of them to be like. You know what? People are going to want to read a book about this. Well, I think what happened. I think what happens a lot of times with novelizations is, well, I mean, you know, the novels end up having to be released at the same time as the movie. So what ends up happening is they're based on earlier scripts. It's a different draft, and they're not keeping. They're not sticking with the plot of the released movie. That, that's one of the reasons why I kind of seek those out. Um, that's true. Because there there are differences in there that that you would think are the novelist ideas, but no, they're actually in the original script. Oh, that's pretty cool. I have the um, I have I have the Karate Kid novelization. That one, uh, that one, they didn't change the script too much. I have that one. I have the Night of the Living Dead. They made that into a book, and then Return of the Living Dead, because the, the guy was a John Russo was one of the original scriptwriters. Yeah, um, is like an author, and he wrote. He's written a bunch of. I think he did a Dawn of the Dead novelization too. I used to have that actually. I I 
I had the Dawn of the Dead novelization, and I bought it at Gene's Books in the King of Prussia Mall. Oh, Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's fucking going back. But, uh, you know, uh, when the eBay when the eBay fad hit, I learned that it was worth money, so I sold it. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude. I, you know how many records I've gotten rid on eBay? Oh, because... uh, yeah, a couple of years ago I went, because uh, I've always been a record collector, and... When I started getting back into actually listening to records, well, I mean, I knew beforehand, but I mean, I learned even more so after getting a decent pair of headphones that picture discs sound like shit. Oh, yeah, it's gar- It's the shitty, it's like the cheapest vinyl you can they can get to manufacture it. But they're extremely collectible. Oh, yeah. So, like, the first thing I did, like, when I, when I started doing eBay was got rid of all my picture discs. <laughs> <laughs> I got, I found Which one. Which is sad because now... Like, today, they've pretty much tripled in value. Oh, yeah. If, if I held on to them for a couple of more years. <laughs> <laughs> I unloaded, I found, the first house I ever bought, I don't know who the hell lived there before me, but I found a, like, probably like a two-inch stack of vinyl behind the washing machine. <laughs> and they, other than being dusty, they were in great shape. They, they had three uh, die-cut uh, Iron Maiden picture discs. Oh. Yeah. So hard to find. Uh, if I didn't know, and I would have saved it for you. Some guy in Italy bought them, and I'm like, I yep. don't, I don't want to ship them overseas because they're going to get fucked up. And he paid like, it was like ridiculous. Like he spent like 140 or 150 dollars for three records to be like shipped, basically in a box with a goddamn shitload of pa- paper and peanuts around it. They made it fine, but I was like, I, okay. I mean, you want a fucking picture disc of that shit? Go for it. Well, that's it's funny you mentioned it too. I uh, I remember I was in a similar situation. Um, uh, I guess it was about five years ago. I had a, um, you know, like even Legos are collectible now. Oh yeah. But I had um, what the heck was it? A Lego Tie Bomber. Oh yeah. Uh, Star Wars Lego Tie Bomber. It was the first release of the Tie Bomber. I never opened it. I just had it like sitting in a in a storage. Sold the damn thing to some dude in Australia for what six hundred and fifty dollars. That's bizarre. That's just fucking nuts. And since it was an odd-shaped box, <laughs> I told him, you know, I'm going to have to get back to you on shipping because I'm going to have to figure out exactly how the hell to move this damn thing from here to Australia without getting it damaged. Shipping ended up costing $87, and he's like, <laughs> he paid it like that. $87 for shipping. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so we ended up paying over $700 for a box of Legos. That's fucking nuts. <laughs> and that, you know, just because he wants it, you know, yeah. like it's a buddy of mine is the manager of a Lego store and he's, it's crazy. Like how this Lego subcultures come up. Yeah. A friend of his runs a, like a, a vintage and retro and like you basically use toy store. It's like, you know, it's eBay in a storefront and the guy, he'll go to these Lego conventions and he'll buy 10,000 bucks of regular shelf products, stuff that you can just order from the Lego site or go to the store, buy like a target. They'll come in and buy like 10 grand, take it to these Lego conventions and sell it like all for like 25 grand in a weekend. Jesus. Cause these people will come in These collectors will buy like four of the same set. So they have one, they can put together one, they can just hold on to, and then two to sell in three years when the thing's discontinued right. and worth five times as much. Like they, fuck me, the only man. Legos I have now are the ones that they put out. I guess for like special special anniversary occasions, like um, 
I have the uh, the, Delo- the Back to the Future DeLorean Lego set. Yeah. And the uh, the Ecto-1 from Ghostbusters. <laughs> I've got those two, too. The kids are like, can we open them, put them together? I'm like, no. No. <laughs> and the only ones I have that I opened, and I probably should have held on to because they're probably worth something now, was um, uh, a two-pack of uh, Biker Scouts with speeder bikes. Oh, yeah. I have one of them. I think the other one got parted out for... Otto likes to build candy machines. Like, working working candy machines out of Legos. Like, quarter uh, and a quarter, turn a knob. And he, <laughs> and he like usually puts, like, Smarties or Sweet Tarts in it. I'm like, what the hell? Like, you need to, like, figure out how to do this on a larger scale. And we're going to send you to an engineering school, and you're going to make a lot of money. Maybe he just wants <laughs> to be Willy Wonka. It's, I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> but hopefully without the weird Johnny Depp pedophiliac tendencies. So how is uh how is the Goonies twenty years later or thirty years later in the theater? It's it was cool to see it in the theater, just because, you know, anymore. Well, it's nice now because theaters are actually like, you know like Cinemark and like Alamo Drafthouse and like the Colonial will do those sort of revival showings. Cause yeah, I think, that's, actually, that's Colonial's bread and butter. Actually, I think. Yeah, because like you know you think about it like since we were in, they didn't do that kind of shit at all when we were kids. Like you only saw it. You either saw it first run or on TV, like either on TV or you rented a video cassette. And now that they're like, there's all this nostalgia for stuff, they get to see it on the big screen. Otto's been watching Goonies since he was like five <laughs> and he loves it, but he's like seeing it. He's like, he can appreciate seeing it on the big screen being like, holy shit. Like this movie looks awesome. The only problem is it was a little loud. Like they just, they had the volume up way too loud, but it was fun. And I mean, the movie, I mean, Christ, it's not a good movie. No. But it's fun, you know. That, that's another one too that has some. Uh, I remember when the movie came out, I was like so obsessed with it. I bought the novelization when I was a kid, <laughs> and there's, there's and, and I still I don't have it anymore. But I distinctly remember stuff in that book again that was never in the movie. Like um, Mikey was some type of uh, almost like an idiot savant in the book, oh, yeah. where um, he could figure out puzzles and stuff like that in his head. Like, um, he would open a Mad Magazine and look at the back cover and know what the picture's going to make without folding it. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like Rain Man, the Wonder Years? Kinda. And um, they also reveal later on, too, that I don't know if it was a, if they ended up making it was a deleted scene in the movie, but I know it was definitely a thing in the book where um, One-Eyed Willie also had asthma, and they had on the, uh, on the table in front of him was some type of fucking uh, Victorian... Uh, inhaler. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like the, uh, did you ever see Hansel and Gretel, which, uh, the, the one with Jeremy Renner? I watched it once, half, half paid attention to it because it felt like it only deserved half of my attention. Cause he, <laughs> cause he had medieval diabetes with that steampunk syringe. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking the pirate inhaler. That's awesome. I heard they're making a new one of those. Dude, they're remaking everything. But I that mean, movie's like three years old. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Oh, the Hansel Gretel. Yeah, they're... And Jeremy Renner said he's in. He's like, yeah, sure. I'm <laughs> like, dude, like, you're an A-list actor now. You don't... I mean, you're Hawkeye and the Bourne movie nobody cares about, but you're like a name dude. But he's like, he's like, yeah, I'll do it. You know? I was like, that's cool. I, he was good. I liked that movie. It was, it was like Goonies. It was dumb fun. Like, it wasn't... You know, it wasn't brain surgery. It wasn't anything that's going to revolutionize cinema, but it was pretty... I enjoyed it. I had a good time watching it. It seemed like it was one of those... Uh, more like a vehicle to 
propel Gemma Arterton forward. Yeah. I can Which, see that. for some odd reason, still hasn't happened. Because, like, you know, during the span, like, between Clash of the Titans and, you know, all those other... Like, there was a good three-year span where she was in movies, like, every two months. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just... She's, like... She kind of reminds me... Like, it's, like, the same thing with, like, Car- Carla Gugino. Or Jugi- Gugino, whatever. The chick from... Um, no, I can't think of anything she's in. She was in Sucker Punch and Sin City. Yeah, she was... Uh, wasn't she... Wait... Wasn't snowing. I'm getting. I think I might be getting her confused. Wasn't she in Spin City, the TV show? Maybe. Spin City. I might be getting. Spin- you know what? No, I, I, that I'm getting her confused with the girl from Hellraiser three. Because there's a girl in Hellraiser three who looks just like Carla Gugino. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> be weird if you were in Sin City and Spin City. <laughs> I'm just gonna take my my career is only gonna be movies that sort of sound the same in the title, <laughs> totally thematically incompatible, but. I'm going to be in Friday the 13th and Friday. (laughs) (laughs) That would be awesome. That would be fucking amazing. That would be a movie I'd watch. You know, like, well, Halloween and Hollow Man are very similar. Kevin Bacon was in Friday the 13th and Hollow Man. That movie, God. Hollow Man, you know what? I'll give Hollow Man. Hollow Man had an excellent score. I don't even, I can't even remember. All I remember. That's, that's one of the things I do, and I don't even know if you even know about about me, but what, what I, a lot of, one of the things I do in my, um, is write about movie soundtracks. Oh yeah. I know your, your examiner articles. But, uh, yeah, Jerry Goldsmith did the Hollow Man soundtrack and I thought it was outstanding. Oh, okay. I have to, I haven't watched that movie. I think I, I might've seen that in the theater. I like Elizabeth Shue, so. Oh, she hates that movie. She hate who directed was it? Uh, I have no idea who directed. F- I think it was Paul Verhoeven or oh, was it really? I think so. And but she there was... were no commercials in it. <laughs> <laughs> but she, whoever, I think he directed it. And she was like, I've heard her in interviews. She was just like, it was a horrible experience for the you know the person that was telling me what to do, who I am not going to name, but who was telling me what to do was a horrible human being. Right, like, but didn't she do that right after doing the Saint? Oh Christ, she was in that. Yeah, she was the main girl in the scene. That's another one I haven't seen. That was fucking Val Kilmer, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. Talk, talk about another career that's gone to hell in a handbasket. He's, I saw, I was rooting through Netflix, I think it was, and he's like doing horror movies now. That's all he does is like low budget, straight to video, just like garbage. And he has, <laughs> he has swelled up. Yeah, well, the last thing I saw him in was what, Alexander? That was probably the last big movie, like major release movie. Yeah, he was I, haven't in. Seen, I, I haven't seen him in anything since then. No, he was in. A, it was a. I think he was in one of those. No, that was Christian Slater. That was in Alone in the Dark or Afraid of the Dark or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's Christian Slater. But yeah, like Val Kilmer's just in all those, like all those terrible direct-to-video just messes. Like basically anything that is like, you know, tall or Paul W. S. Anderson's too good to direct. No, the last thing. No, the last thing I saw him in. No, it was a uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. That actually wasn't bad. Which was a good movie. That was a, that was a good movie. That was the last good thing he was been in, and that because that got a theatrical release, I think. Yeah. And that was probably it. And then, well, fucking Doctor Moreau, which was... it's one of those. It's yeah, uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is one of those um, Robert Downey Jr. movies that everyone forgets Robert Downey Jr.'s in. Because that was a uh, Shane Black's kind of his comeback, wasn't it? Yeah. Because then he like because he fucking fell off the map for a while, and then he did the. Um, Still haven't seen Iron Man three. I just comic book movies. I don't really care about. It's so. 
that movie is so all over the place. I thought Iron Man 2 was all over the place. Iron Man 3 is even more all over the place. Oh, wow. So I just... Iron Man doesn't do shit for me. Like, eh. Well, that, well that's the funny thing that, um, that, I, that, I, that I get... I don't know if I told you this last time. The funny thing about these Marvel movies is they are picking um, comic series to make movies out of that nobody gave a shit about when they were just comics. Nobody read Iron Man. Nobody read the Avengers. And now they're like the biggest freaking characters on the goddamn planet. <laughs> like, I knew one kid at O&J who read Iron Man, and he had like almost an entire run, and we used to make fun of him because that's all he read was Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, nobody would ever even heard of it. It was like such a weird second tier, you know, fucking strange movie for them to pick. And then James Gunn was like, Came straight out of trauma. Directed Slither was like the only sort of. I don't even know if that's a notable movie. I mean, I'll Slither's a it's an okay movie, but it's definitely just a B horror movie. It's just kind of a straight up monster movie. Michael Rooker in, in in the horror in horror circles, Slither is a very notable movie. But it's like as far as mainstream, like for Marvel to say, okay, yeah, the guy who was a secondary character in Tromeo and Juliet and directed Slither, we're gonna give you this huge like. $150 million picture. Sure. We don't see any problem with that. I don't think they expected it to be that successful. And it's like, I think of all the Marvel movies, the one I like the best. Yeah. I, I, well, no, my favorite Marvel movie is still Blade. The first Blade. Well, yeah, I like that. I like Blade too, just because Guillermo del Toro. It's my, I think my favorite movie of his. But Ken, that's another movie with a really loose plot. <laughs> Nominally speaking. <laughs> I just I do like the first place. I do, I just hate Steven Dorff though. He's the worst. Don't pick a really short, petulant guy as a villain. Like, oh, but come on, he was in the gate. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, you don't pick a really short guy as a villain. I just he's just not. I'm not. You know, he's like. It's like okay, we don't have enough money for Christian Slater. We will get that guy. That'll be great. It's like because he was in um. You know, fucking, I'm from, you know, being in Baltimore, all you hear about is John Waters, because he was in Cecil B. Demented, and that's, like, the weakest John Waters film. I'm not a John Waters fan, and I know it's probably strange to say, um, but I love Serial Mom. Oh, Serial Mom's great. That movie's so much fun. And I, you know, it's being in Baltimore, it's like, if you, if you don't like John Waters, it's like people look at you cross-eyed. It's like, and I, I appreciate it, but it's, you know, it's just kind of fucking juvenile underground movies. Like, there's nothing... They're unique, but they're not great. You know, they're not good movies by any I think stretch. It, I, you know, I always looked at him like uh, the guy who picked up Ed Wood's mantle and just took it to the next level. But had actual skill in... Like, actually knew how to make a movie. <laughs> well, I don't know. I wouldn't. I still wouldn't call... I still don't consider Pink Flamingos an actual movie. Well, yeah. I mean, that was definitely a good first or second attempt. I think because I, I think he had one movie before that. Like he's definitely got better the longer the more he did it. You know, technically speaking, I think Serial Mom ended up being like the apex of his abilities. Right. It's Hairspray's good. Crybaby's fun enough. Oh, you know, I have a hard time watching that movie because I... it's set in it's set in the present, right? What uh. Crybaby? No, that's set in the, like, the early 60s, like, late 50s, Is early it 60s. I, uh, that's the thing I had a problem with, was the movie itself couldn't reconcile its own time period. 
Because there were things that would happen in the movie that were like definitely modern things, and then they would jump back into talking like they were in the fifties. It was definitely set in like the late fifties, early sixties, because they still, you know, he always kind of puts racial and like gender and sexual subtext into it. In or uh, yeah, subtext into the movie. I just think I there think were a lot of continuity issues in that movie that well, kept there... me from buying into it. Yeah. That one was okay. I have a problem with Johnny Depp just in general. Like, I just, I can't, I don't know. Well, now all he does is hat acting, so. Yeah, well, the the problem with Johnny Depp is, while people claim to think he's some type of a great actor, he really plays the exact same character in every movie he's in. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's why I call it hat acting. Like, (laughs) like, it's like, what kind of hat and what kind of wig and what kind of makeup do I get to wear in this movie? Like, it's, he's like sort of like the high, like the high concept Adam Sandler. Yeah. Like, you know, Adam Sandler's like, well, I want to make a movie somewhere where I can take my family on vacation while I'm making it, and they can have fun while I'm making a movie. Johnny Depp's like, you know, show me your waistcoat closet, because i got to see what kind of waistcoat I'm going to wear. You know, I mean, I really, need... I think the last time he actually acted, acted, was in a movie that the little girls want nothing to do with, which is Fear and Loathing. And even that's kind of like... Because he wasn't pretty in that. Well, even that's hat acting, you know? That's, well, yeah, he's got a cigarette. It's very like affected. I'm no, actually, you know what? You, you want to no. You want to get technical? The last time he acted was in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. That's like <laughs> he actually did do like a decent job of like portraying a character as a human being. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it wasn't like a Tim Burton cartoon brought to life. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I've seen him in that I would consider like acting, acting, and I can't. It's like Gilbert Grape. I think is the only thing. I can't even, yeah, and he was, I mean, people are always like, oh, he's in Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm like, barely, <laughs> barely. And that movie's not as good as everybody thinks it is. No, it's, it's no, not. That, that's a movie that doesn't hold up. Over not time. at all. The pacing is so goddamn weird. Like the, some of the acting, I mean, the, the fucking, what's her, Nancy's mom is just the worst actress. Yeah. I do. Some of the scenes are creepy. I remember when I was a kid. That movie scared the shit out of me. When the dream sequence, when Freddy's arms grow, his silhouette. Like there are some creepy sequences in that movie. Yeah, but, from... but did you ever see? Did you ever watch? Uh, someone. I don't know. if Someone put put like a fan edit together and put like the deleted cuts back into it. So it's a more graphic movie, but it also even it looks even cheesier. <laughs> so I found it on I found it on a torrent site. Someone actually like put like a fan edit together. Yeah. Uh, and put all the deleted stuff back into it. Um it's it's more fun to watch, but it's definitely a lot cheesier. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to look for that cuz I like to me like 2 and 3. Like I, the Dream Warriors is my favorite one. Like you know, that's another one too that when I was younger, I saw that actually at the North End Fox when it when it came out. I saw it at North Fox North End. Um, and the, the uh, you know, being an eighties kid, uh, the only reason I went to see it was because Dokken did the, Oh yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> I had that soundtrack. I still have the 12 inch single of a uh, dream warriors. Oh my God. <laughs> Dokken. That's one of those bands that everybody thought was so great back then. You listen to it. It's like nightmare. You're like, why do we like this? <laughs> like, Oh man. I love that movie though. Like I thought that was the, the best one that new nightmare was kind of fun because it was like the proto like the prototype for scream now see i had a problem with that movie too i don't there's a lot of apologists that and i don't know if they're apologists but there's a lot of people out there that try to find reasons to like that movie and my biggest beef with it is 
for the, at least the first 40 minutes, there's no main character. You have no idea who the hell you're supposed to be following in the movie. <laughs> I mean, at least the original one, you know right away. That's I mean, what... and, and if you didn't know the people, I mean, if, if you didn't know the characters' names, you wouldn't know. Basically, that's what gives it away, is the characters' names no, tell you who you're supposed to be following. But you don't figure that out until later, because they don't introduce Nancy, what, until 20 minutes into the damn movie. <laughs> I still, like... I just think at least it was the first. It was the first slasher where they tried to like fuck with the narrative a little bit because it wasn't just a recapitulation. Like you know, because by then like the Friday the Thirteenth movies are just it's the same shit over and over. Like I like it because they at least try to do something different. Because the other, I don't even know if I've seen anything like what is there. I never saw Freddy's Dead. I haven't seen the fourth or fifth one. Freddy's Dead doesn't make any sense. It's okay. Like I've never seen, and then and then Freddy versus Jason was just colossal waste of time it was a live action cartoon that was just it was fun but it was like it was fun because you finally got to see them together but it's they were barely but that was the whole point of the but that's that's all that was like necessary about the movie everything else was like well if since we're doing this for the fans let's just do all sorts of stupid shit that fans would want to see yeah but i wanted to see them more together like that was and like it would have been not like it was cool seeing them fight each other but it would have been cool to see them like not even a team up isn't the right word because if they teamed up, then they just fuck everybody up. But you know, I just that one. I just it was weird. I think I had higher expectations for what I got when I because I saw it in the theater too. And you know, it's just being a horror fan. Like anytime there's and at that point too, like there was no horror in the theater. Well, nothing that wasn't teen centered. You know, I went and saw Scream in the theater, and then it was just like just Scream clones for five fucking years. You know, I had this discussion with somebody a couple of weeks ago, and they were talking about how, you know, Scream revitalized horror. But I, if I remember correctly, that was, what, 1996? Yeah, probably. There were a couple of halfway decent horror movies that also came out in 1996, but didn't get all the attention because Scream happened to come out that same year. Yeah. What else came? I this... can't remember what the hell they were. Like, it was Event, Hor- or Event Horizon came out in 97, right? That was, that might have been later. Than... I don't remember. Well, that, I think that... But no, I know distinctly there were a couple of, like, relevant horror movies that came out in 1996, but got kind of swept under the rug. Oh, From Dusk Till Dawn! I saw that at this, an old Art Deco... The Frighteners? Well, yeah, there were some, but it's... I think with, like, uh, with The Frighteners, that one was kind of, like, it didn't get a lot of play. Carnosaur 3? No. <laughs> <laughs> now you're just being a smartass. <laughs> I think with the Frighteners, people were like, oh, Michael, you know, I almost said Michael Jackson. Michael, <laughs> Michael J. Fox are like, oh, it's like he's fallen, you know, now he has to do horror movies. But that, you know, so I think that's why. From Charles Till Dawn, I thought that had, I mean, I remember seeing that on the big screen. Because I saw that in like an old school movie theater. And it was pretty packed. Like, I think that one, because that one was definitely grittier than Scream. Like, I think Scream, they saw like, okay, this is an easy marketing niche. As you put a bunch of like teenage actors from famous TV shows in with like this cookie cutter plot and we can make a lot of money. And then from Tustle Dawn, it was like, how the hell do we market this beyond direct video? Which is, well, what the, exactly what they did. But it's like, there wasn't, you know, for the next like seven, eight years, five or six years until like Blair Witch came out, there really wasn't a whole lot, a whole lot of really, really good, big theatrical hits for horror movies. In the late 90s. It was all like, you know, I, I Know What You Did Last Summer, and then 
And then all the fucking J-horror rip-offs. Sinner came out in 96, too. Oh, Christ. I haven't... I think I fell asleep in that one. Because that was Tom Holland directed that, didn't he? Yeah. Like, I remember... Because I read the book when I was in high school, and I was like, this is a really good book. And then I saw the movie came out, and it was like... It came and went in like a week, too. It was not around for very long. The Dentist was also 1996. Oh, God. Is that a... What, fucking Corbin Berenson? Yeah. <laughs> Those movies were funny as hell. Oh, God. I always got that one confused with Dr. Giggles. Well, yeah. Well, the Giggles came out, what, 94, 95? Yeah. Like that. that was with Larry, Larry Drake from fucking, what's his name? The Dark Man's arch nemesis. <laughs> Robert G. Durant. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that in the theater. I remember, like, because I was like, you know, back then it was like, oh, you saw the name Sam Raimi. I was like, oh, fuck, uh, a, a non-Evil Dead movie he's directing? Sure. Why not? And Bruce Campbell has a cameo in it, and oh, the, the car has a cameo in oh, it. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> oh, that thing, man. I love when you see, like, Sam Raimi shots in a, a non like, in a Sam Raimi movie, but, like, a non-Evil Dead. Like, when Doc Ock is, like, getting sucked into that vortex in Spider-Man 2, I was like, I know that! Oh, well, that, that's kind of the thing, one of the things, I know a lot of people like Drag Me to Hell, but the thing that drew, drew me out of it was all the Evil Dead mimicry in it. Yeah. I mean, there was so much... Evil Dead mimicry in Drag Me to Hell that it was barely its own movie. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely... I think he was just like, okay, I've been away from this for a while. Like, I did... He did some, like, director for hire movies where it's like a baseball movie. Where it's like... It was... I think it was Dennis Quaid where it was like a, an aging guy who finally gets drafted when he's like... The 40. Rookie? Was it The Rookie? Was it... Was, that was Dennis Quaid, right? Yeah. I think that was it. It was an alright movie, but it was like, it definitely didn't look like a Sam Raimi movie. And then A Simple Plan with uh, Bill Paxton and Billy Bob Thornton was like sort of a real, it was like a really, really downbeat, depressing, like, heist movie. Yeah. With them and Gary Cole. Like, it was character actor heaven. And, uh, and there were like, there's literally like six people in the whole movie in like three, (laughs) in like three locations. It's super small. But then it was like, he was like, I think it was like, okay, I did these Spider-Man movies and these, like, sort of prestige kind of movies. Like, if I'm going to make a horror movie, I have to come back and prove myself. So, yeah, I got to throw in all these fucking, you know, homages to Evil Dead. Like, I always think, that fuck, that, I know it was supposed to be scary, the seance scene with the goddamn talking goat. Oh, yeah. I, I couldn't help but burst out laughing. I like well, that Well, now movie. we have those commercials with the scapegoat, so it kind of, like... Oh, God. It even dilutes that even further. Yeah, I Sam Raimi, like, it'd be nice to see. And then he started that production company, that Ghost House Pictures, and everything they put out is garbage. It's like, I think they did a bunch of, like, the Grudge sequels, and uh, and then they just do a lot of those. Remember? You know, I don't think to this day I've ever seen the Grudge. It's okay. Any of them. I mean, they're... Not even the Juwans. I've never seen yeah. any of them. Juwan, I think Juwan or Juwan Two, Juwan. It, I, I think I've sat there and like watched it with Wikipedia, because I'm like I'm pretty sure I don't know what the fuck's going on. I'm like I get non-narrative cinema, cinema but you're, it looks like you're trying to tell a story, so pretend you know maybe just pay lip service to the story because i'm not i don't fucking know juan 2 i liked like that one actually was a little i think a little felt more straightforward at least i felt like i knew what was going on but there was like a maybe like six or seven years ago there was like eight films to die for the after dark horror series yeah i think it was all low budget stuff didn't inside come out of that 
Yeah, that was the one really good movie from that. Like, it was like that, The Butterfly Effect 3. <laughs> and it's like, Inside, and then there was this movie, Perkins 14, that was actually kind of cool. It was like, about this these people that were like, you know, this little town where people disappear, like, over the years, and it turns out, like, this guy's been keeping them captive, and they eventually, like, escape. Oh, and it's kind of wreak havoc. That's actually not bad, but the rest of them... That like, almost sounds like... An expansion upon people under the stairs. That's, uh, is that the, yeah, okay, that's the, was that Wes Craven? Yeah. Okay, I think I've, I've, I watched that recently, that's definitely very early 90s. That was the movie that gave us, um, what the hell's his name? Um. It was Ving Rhames, like, yeah, first. Yeah, Ving Rhames, yeah, that was one first of the first movies. big picture. <laughs> and it, I think he had that bad, like, skull cap, that, yeah, and a tucked in, like, button down, patterned shirt. I think that was hard to watch, I think, just because the arrow was so, like, blatantly obvious. It's like watching any... Like, when you watch those 80s movies. Like, when you see fucking Killer Clowns from Outer Space and the shoulder... Like, the shoulder pads on the girls. <laughs> uh, and the high-waisted acid wash jeans. I was like, I saw enough of that in the halls of O.J. Roberts to uh, last me a lifetime. The Joan Van Ark. <laughs> <laughs> the... All, the f- Fashion about fashion by uh, Knots Landing, <laughs> and all the all the men in their Botany five thousand or Botany five hundred, Botany five thousand. I've upgraded them. That goddamn yeah, but still like those those Ghost House movies. Like Sam Raimi did all those. I'm looking for. I am. Have you seen the trailer for the Ash versus Evil Dead? No. That looks like it's going to be pretty good. Like I, I think they're like rebooting it or rejiggering it. I pretty, pretty much well. I pretty much called it quits on horror TV. I, we tried, like, we watched the first season of American Horror Story, and the same with, like, Walking Dead, and Horror Story was just, ended up being so convoluted that it was, it didn't, we were like, eh, I don't really think I need to revisit this, like, the ending was weird, and then Walking Dead just got boring. Yeah. We tried, like, we got through the I, first... I'm surprised it is still as rapidly popular as it still is. There's no reason for it. I, the only thing I can think is it's like people that aren't into horror, like it's just horror enough for them, and it's still right. Because... It's like it's like uh, Metallica adjusting themselves so they can appeal to people who don't like metal. Yeah, oh, it's it's the Black Album. Yeah, fuck yeah, exactly. You're right. It's Walking the... Dead is the Black Album. Of... <laughs> <laughs> it allows everyday people to say, "Hey, I like that stuff." Oh yeah, but without yes. having to go any further into the genre, exactly. Like, that's what I don't like. It's because, but it's still really soapy. Like, it's very soap opera esque with just with rotting corpses around. Well, and if you read the comic book, you hate the TV show even more. I never even. I just didn't even. I'm not a fan of comics, so I never even. The comic is the comic is brutal. Really. And the entire and the thing the thing that killed me like this is what pulled me out of the Walking Dead TV series was the entire second season when they were on the farm after Carl got shot waiting for him to heal up which is basically all they did on that second season yeah was an issue and a half of the comic <laughs> the entire second season was less than two issues of the comic series that's where we gave up because when he got to the farm it got so it just stopped <laughs> nothing. Like, they literally spent, it seemed like they spent, like, three or four episodes looking for him and the little girl in the woods, and that was it. And it was, and they, 
I'm like, they're kids. They couldn't have gotten that fucking far. <laughs> really? Did he learn to drive a motorcycle somewhere and just took off? Like, I, that's what I couldn't get. And it was like, it just got ridiculous. And the character, like, none of them, I don't think you have to like every character in something. And sometimes unlikable characters are the best characters. But Jesus Christ, like, I'm like, just get fed to the zombies. All of you, just be eaten. Give us new characters to, like, watch. Right. Because I just, it's like, I didn't care about any of them. And to me, like, the, especially that, like, the opening bothered me too. Because when you see Rick and you know strapped to the bed in the hospital, thirty right? days later, oh, exactly, days later, exactly. Right. I was like, Jesus Christ, that's a, you stole the fucking opening from another um, an amazing movie. <laughs> you just whipped, was, yeah, it was fucking note by note. Twenty eight days later, <laughs> you're gonna have him shuffling around with a beard, wondering what the fuck is going on, wearing a hospital, Johnny. Just like Killian Murphy and goddamn, ugh. I wanted, I was right there. I was like, oh man, really? <laughs> like, I want to like this. It's like zombies on TV. So well, it's funny too, because that was also the end of the first Resident Evil. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> like, and that, if you're stealing from that, then you've got some serious, serious deficits, deficits of creativity. <laughs> I mean, those. So fucking, I'd rather watch a cigar store Indian act than Mila Jovovich. You mean like, Creep Show too? Oh yeah, I would. Well, I don't, okay, I don't know that. I, I don't know that I'd rather watch that specifically. She's just such a horrible actress. She she is the like we. I remember I was dating this woman. We went and saw there was a, I think it was directed by Paul W S Anderson or no, it was directed by Luke Besson. That's right, because she was married to him. It was the Messenger? Where she played Joan of Arc? I never saw it. Ugh. We got up when Dustin Hoffman appears as the living embodiment of her conscience. Wait, wait, wait. While she's Dustin in prison. Hoffman is in a period piece? <laughs> he is literally like an, a, a, he's like an old bearded like wraith basking in like a halo of light, speaking to her as like a spectral vision because she's like been imprisoned after one of these battles because the the state's trying to get rid of her or whatever. And he appears to her as basically a hallucination, but it's Dustin Hoffman. He looks like the fucking knight from Indiana Jones, and the last crusade. <laughs> and he's talking to her. And I was like, I looked over and the woman I was with was passed out cold. And I'm like, I poked her. I'm like, let's just go. Let's just get out of here. This is ridiculous. She does not know how to act. And this movie is insane. I, mean, I was like, she's, I was like, that's Dustin Hoffman. Well, that's why. I, that's why I thought that uh, you know the Fifth Element was a perfect vehicle for her because she didn't have to act. Oh yeah, she just had to stand. Well, she had to say, Chicken, good. Multi <laughs> pass. Corbin Dallas. <laughs> she can stand there and look good in a bathing suit made of duct tape. <laughs> and then, who knew that true love's first kiss would be what would save the universe? And that's like, that is literally the only, oh, the hell? Is that your cat? (laughs) That was literally the only acting, or the only movie I've ever seen her in where I, that and Dazed and Confused because she's in it for like a minute and a half. Oh yeah, completely forgot. She sits in the back of a pickup truck for one scene, I think, or on the hood of a car. That's another one of those movies. I don't know, a lot of people like that movie. I, I don't have a connection to it at all. Well, there's not, I mean... It's not really much. It's American graffiti for our generation. 
Really? I thought it was Fast Times at Ridgemont High for our generation, for this generation. I, well, I guess, man, they're probably, well, they're, those three movies are really kind of that whole, although Fast Times really wasn't nostalgic, but it was definitely like. Really? You don't watch that movie and be like, damn. Well, now, but I mean, at the time when it was made, it wasn't a nostalgia movie because it was about that era. Yeah. Like Fast, or Dazing and Fused and American Graffiti are both like about the, all those great times in the past because every, you know, yuppies have to fucking, they have to relive the glory days constantly. I mean, I love Fast Times now. That movie's so much fun. It's funny too because everybody loves Spicoli so much, but he's like the least interesting part of that movie. Yeah. He's just like, it's weird too because his character's so broad compared to like the kind of reality of the rest of that movie. It almost—I I never saw any like makings of for the movie, but it almost seems like he was a really minor, minor character. And then after a couple of screenings, they're like, "Hey, people are reacting to this Spicoli guy. We should put a couple of more scenes in with it." So they put like the whole thing in there with him and the uh, Forrest Whitaker's brother and stuff. Because there was oh, yeah. no, there was no rhyme or reason for yeah. them to ever talk. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, fuck it. And you know, you know, the way Sean Penn is a, as a person, everything you read, he was probably just like, fuck it, this is the way I'm playing it, and you're going to film it, whatever. Like, this is how I've determined the role's going to be. Because, yeah, I mean, you look at, like, the rest of, like, I mean, was it Nicolas Cage and uh, Anthony Edwards? Yeah. And, uh, Eric Stoltz, like, his buddies, they're not like him at all. They're barely in the movie, like, and he was probably exactly like that, like a uh, ancillary character that gave, like, okay, you're going to be the foil for this one teacher in a couple scenes, and then he blew it up. Ugh. And then he became, like, the centerpiece of the uh, the graduating day, the high, uh, the prom or whatever the hell that was. What was <laughs> that? It wasn't a prom. What the fuck? <laughs> that, like, that end-of-the-year school dance? Clo- closing ceremony that doesn't happen <laughs> in any other high school ever? <laughs> Didn't that happen at your graduation at O&J? Uh, I remember we had to stand around a lot. They gave a speech, and we left. <laughs> I remember being very stoned and very sweaty. And there you have it, folks. End of episode 10 of The Blood Feast, part one of two. Um, yeah, so hope you enjoyed that wide-ranging discussion that goes all over the place and back again. It was fun talking to Mark about it. Like I said... The second half will kind of go into where we came from, uh, how we got to know each other, um, what high school was like for us. Hint, hint. Not a lot of fun. Anyway, that is the end of episode 10. I am your host, Rob. I'm your host, Mark. Mark's not actually here, so I pretend to be him. That was pretty stupid. Whatever. Uh, you can find me, us, whatever, on Twitter at BloodFeastPod if you want to get a hold of me slash the podcast. You want to find Mark at Mark A. Morton on Twitter. You can also find us on the internet at www.bloodfeastpod.wordpress.com. Send us an email at bloodfeastpod at gmail.com. Give us a phone call on my cell phone if you have my number. If not, tough luck. Uh, so, without further ado, thanks. Have a great day. Have a great night. Enjoy your lives. And we'll see you next time. For the Blood Feast, I've been Rob. And... Don't forget, when you leave, don't forget to put the lid down when you're done.